Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bono, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. So, today our guest is Nicholas Van Horst, founder of Delta App, a multi-asset investment tracking app that allows you to manage various portfolios and track their performance in real time. We'll talk about his journey as an entrepreneur, um, the idea of the startup, how he has managed to grow it and sell it and remain a CEO uh, in the company. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What's, what's your background? Hi, first of all, nice for uh, thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, as you said, my name is Nicholas. I'm uh, 32 years old, and my background actually is in or I studied computer science. And even though that I finished my degree as soon as I um, graduated, I never wrote a line of code uh, myself any longer uh, because. Even though I, I was adequate, I would say, as a programmer, I was definitely not the best in it. Um, and the feeling of, of being average was not nice. So I know I was doing my internship and I was telling the company, look, um, they asked me if I want to stay. And I said, yeah, I, I don't think programming is really my thing. I'm much more in the um, working out ideas, new products, new digital concepts. Um, and then they introduced me to something called that I it's called product management, which I didn't know what it was back then. And then I started as a product manager in the company, was able to grow, went to a different company, and and then I in that company I got the ID for um, for Delta, and then I decided to leave and together with somebody from that company, um, yeah, get the Delta ID really going. Okay. That's fine. I'm sure it it must have had some some impact your your programming background, even if you didn't code yourself. I used to do some programming like ages ago, um, and I, I stopped as well, like probably more than ten years ago. But I, I think it does teach you things that you can apply to to your well work life and daily life in general. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree because again, we're still, or I'm still surrounding myself in digital products. So having an understanding of what needs to happen to, 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 to realize something is very useful, especially not only right now with Delta, but at the previous company when I was product director, um, realizing and knowing and being able to interact with engineers. Uh, and understanding their struggles and coming to a consensus because you realize, okay, this solution might be 5% better, but it takes twice as long. Okay, let's try to find a different way. So yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's easier because of the background, even though you don't actively do it yourself anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of, well, it is my advice to my kids and a lot of young people now that they should at least have some basics like you say, it helps inevitably we end up working with technology, whatever field um, you, you work with nowadays. So it really helps being able to communicate and understand better how those things work. Yeah, agreed. How did you choose the name Delta? Um, well, actually, um, so Delta, back in 2017, when we first got the ID, which is May 2017, I think, 
Uh, it was a cryptocurrency app, um, but it was still a financial tracking app, so purely to track your crypto investments. Now we also have stocks and ETFs and stuff. But basically, the, the core idea was you in the crypto world back then, it was a very scattered space. So if you wanted to buy uh, Bitcoin, you had to go to, for instance, Coinbase. If you want to have, buy different tokens, you had to go to Binance and other places. So it was a mishmash of different locations where your crypto investments were being done. And you completely lost your oversight of where is my, what is my total investment and how much profit loss did I make. And that's basically how we came to the name Data because the app did one thing very good in the beginning, which was what is the difference between what I invested and what is my current overall worth, including the profit. And that number is the Delta. So that's how we came up with, uh, with Delta. And you, it, it kind of worked very quickly. You, yeah, I, I, so you reached 500,000 users in the first three months and by the end of the first year, you were at a million, no? Yeah, exactly. So again, uh, I think 2017, it was kind of the wild west in the crypto world. It's much more mature now. Um, but also in the digital product space, when purely taking the finance side out of it, purely as, a, as an opportunity, it was very clear that 90% of the products in 2017, uh, and this is meant in the best way possible, was made for and by engineers or that type of people, very tech-savvy people. Um, and I think the combination of myself with a very, I would say also, um, experienced founding team meant that we were able to also uh, tackle the user experience, user interface. And it was, I think, a, a breath of fresh air for a lot of people in the crypto scene to have a product that wasn't only working in the strict sense of it, but also was nice to use, looked good, and hence the fact that we were able to grow significantly. And also we were kind of the the underdogs, I would say. So people rooted for us. We were like, we really had this ambassador feeling. People wanted to advocate for, for Delta and make it into something big. So yeah, in a couple of months, we suddenly had half a million users, uh, which was, yeah, there were less for me, but uh, for the engineers involved, for the engineering profiles in the founding team, there were a lot of sleepless nights because our servers were... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hard to cope. We didn't expect the sudden success so quickly. Yeah, that's the good side problems. Yeah, good problems to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was going to be my next question because there's so many players in in that space. How did you manage to differentiate yourself? And you sort of answer that with with um, focusing on on the usability. Yeah, and the third thing we also did, and I think we kind of lost this, but I think it's because of we becoming a bigger company and being part of an even bigger company. I think at the beginning, we were, we were doing something that almost everyone would advise against. We were extremely transparent. So we were actively sharing revenue numbers, user numbers, look, giving insights in how we operate. And I think that also made the whole we're, we're part of it for the users yeah, uh, yeah it's it, the ambassador feeling really came out of that as well yeah it creates a really strong sense of community and, and once people feel like part of it they obviously want yeah. to succeed yeah and it's very hard i think to fake that to try and create that effect you just 
like you say, you just have to be very open. Yeah, because when we launched, so we launched in September 2017 and in December 2017, so a couple of months later, we introduced our Delta Pro subscription, so our, our freemium revenue model. But in all honesty, we didn't really have almost any features for it. So we were asking for $60 a year or something, and it was basically being marketed as early backers. So you could back us for more than yeah, thousands of people did this. So it was insane to see that people just wanted to, to push us forward. But you also, you had that strong community from, from what I, I saw. Um, and you were, like, you were sharing a lot of information, but you're also asking people what they want. Yeah, exactly. But in a way, like you say, you, you launched that premium, even though there weren't many features, but I guess people were seeing that as, well, they need cash to build those features. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, indeed, we had all these platforms where you could do feature requests, and we, had, we were basically building what was being asked the most. Mm. And you, so you launched in 2017 and, and you sold the company in 2019, is it? So you kind of went through a financial crash, COVID somewhat. So how, how did that affect you and how did you handle it? How did you rise through that? Well, so prior to the acquisition, um, we experienced our first cryptocurrency market crash. So that was uh, 2018, March to May 2018, then it's really, and because we were a cryptocurrency tracker app, we were extremely correlated to the market. So it were tough times. And I think back then we decided, okay, we need to try to be less correlated. So the solution that we brought for cryptocurrency investors being you lost oversight of your investments, actually this applies also, if you zoom out, because in my personal use case, I was also investing in stocks. So my money was even more scattered. So having a total holistic overview would have been amazing. So then we started looking into that. Um, and I think we focused on building, but it was really tough, I think, because we were used to having a constant positive spiral and growth, 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 and suddenly you see it slow down and decrease a little bit. So that's when we decided, okay, we need to do two things. We need to um, correlate uh, or decrease the correlation with the crypto markets and find a strategic partner to really help us grow in a, in a wider sense, I would say. And that strategic partner in the end became a 100% acquisition, even though in the beginning that wasn't necessarily what we were after. Mm -hmm. But you kept a CEO position in the company. Yes, correct. So yeah, uh, we sold in end or November 2019. Uh, they uh, asked me to uh, stay on a CEO. And to this day, uh, I am still holding that position. And the main reason is um, back when we were acquired or prior to the final discussions, they said, look, we want to keep Delta independent. We don't want to touch your culture, the way of working. And mm -hmm. you want to believe it, you want to see it before you actually believe it, but they really kept their word. So that's why I'm here. I'm happy. I can still run the company as before. And um, yeah, that's that's been crucial for us. Mm. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, most 
entrepreneurs most many entrepreneurs like an exit you know selling the company is like the goal and i always think like that that must be there must be some sort of like letting go of something that you've created and, and you've been there you know you've worked like 20 plus hours a day it must be a really hard thing to do so yeah it is and i it was the main worry and it still is Today, I, I still worry about the, the losing the entrepreneurial touch. And luckily right now, it's still enough there. But uh, in all transparency, if I would start losing the fact that I'm no longer having that influence or, or the feeling that uh, it is still running a business and not running an R&D center or something, yeah, then I would really feel like, okay, maybe for me it's time to move on. But luckily, that's not the case. Mm. And you are based, is it in Norway? No, no, Belgium. Belgium, sorry. Yeah, I know how I got to Norway. Close. <laughs> um, I'm in France. Okay. Yeah, special relationship, apparently, the French and the Belgian. <laughs> and it's, yeah, I bring that up because... Uh, there is that um, popular opinion, I would say, and uh, I actually dare say it's a fact even that like, everybody says and feels that it's harder to do business in Europe or for startups, especially like this uh, more fragmented market, this bureaucracy, it's harder to raise funds, etc., etc. How was your experience with that? How have you dealt with that? Yeah, I completely agree. I think also the, the willingness to take risks is much higher in the US and that's both from the entrepreneurial side as the VC investor side, uh, whereas here everybody's more risk averse, which means just like you said, it's harder to raise funds. Everybody's more skeptical, but that also means that I think companies are in more healthy position um, and the chances of, 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 of going broke even are, are much lower. So yeah, I, I agree with, with, that, with the fact uh, that in Europe, it feels harder uh, when I compare to, and I'm going to be honest, to stories of people I know in the US. I've never started a company in the US, so I cannot say for sure, but mm. it certainly feels that way, yeah. Mm. Have you and how have you been affected by by the the recent crypto storm? Well, it's the entire financial markets. So, like I said, we are less crypto correlated because we also have stocks and funds and everything now. Um, but now the entire financial market is is not doing well. So we feel it. There's no sugarcoating it. Um, we do have a healthy, steady base of users that keep using Delta on a daily basis or at least a weekly basis. And the one thing we know is that people, and when we talk to them, um, say, look, I'm just taking a break from Delta. So I just want, don't want to be confronted with it as soon as markets are not necessarily in a bull market or going up, but at least stable again. I will start using it again and it gives me less stress. And it also gives us less stress because that we know that probably when next summer markets finally start picking up again, we see again an instant effect on our numbers. Mm, yeah, well, I think it would be so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what would you say, if you don't mind sharing, would be your biggest mistake? Like something you would have done differently if you could go back? Yeah, I think, um, I think prior to the acquisition, I think I was too emotionally attached to certain decisions. 
uh, which meant that it clouded my judgment. Uh, and I think I've learned that even though there's many positives to my emotional approach into running a business, if it becomes over-emotional, then it becomes harmful to your decision-making. Um, so I think in hindsight, I'm trying to not uh, push away all emotions because I still personally, and it's hard to judge yourself, feel like um, an emotional approach in the company that is Delta today works. But uh, in, in really tough times, it's probably better to detach a bit, at least, from, from those emotions. Mm. Yeah, that's very good advice. I think that can apply to life as well. <laughs> yeah, probably. Do you, like, who is the typical Delta customer? And that's a kind of a second level to that question. Is, is, do you provide some education? Like, can somebody who has never invested, never been involved in any type of, like, not just only crypto investment, can they become a Delta user? Yeah, yeah, two excellent questions. I think the typical Delta user is, is the retail investor. And the retail investor is really the guy or girl on the street that is investing a couple of hundreds, a couple of thousands, maybe a couple of ten thousand of euros or dollars into the market, but definitely not the institutional professional investor. Delta can be useful for them, but it's not catered for them. So we see back in the beginning that our main audience was in the 25 to 35 age group. But the funny thing is, if we compare the group of 18 to 24-year-olds, it has more than doubled today wow. compared to two years ago. I'm not speaking compared to 2017, even to two years ago. So we see a huge influx of very young people being open in regards to uh, investing. I think also that's where Delta is, is having its, its highest growth. So people really, uh, I think there's a shift of investing being for, I don't want to say goals, but I would say 40 plus, and then it became 30 plus, and now we're actually in the 18 plus uh, zone. And I think that eight, and now 18 to 35, is the biggest chunk of Delta users. And with regards to your second question, um, on the occasional level, Delta can be extremely useful because what you can do with Delta is act like you uh, are investing. So you basically download Delta, you imagine, or you say you have 10,000 euros and you start really putting in transactions in Delta as if you would have the money. And then you can actually Try it. Try investing on Delta and see what the effect would be before you actually do it. That being said, I think in 2023, we have plans to go more into the educational route. Uh, we already did a bit, uh, I think, last month by giving users context as to why are certain stocks or crypto moving uh, up or down. Uh, but yeah, definitely having this virtual portfolio within Delta helps with users that want to try investing with a fictitious amount before actually doing it. Mm. That's very interesting. You mentioned I have a son who is going to be 18 soon in January. And like I noticed he's, he, I think he's getting interested in it for the, a little bit wrong reason. So he's like, I want to make money quick. I don't want to go to work. But, <laughs> you know, I can't blame him, <laughs> not too ill. <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely, definitely interesting that um, it's, it's, it seems to be a trend and it's great that you're offering some, some education. I'm actually amazed that there isn't, maybe that's something you should look into. Hey? 
um, something, if you're saying that people 18 plus are interested, you, I don't know if there's any um, sense in trying to provide education to people just before that. They yeah, exactly. Because they're, they're really looking, it's really that 16, 17 coming into the end of uh, school, they're, they're starting to think, okay, what next? What am I doing? So, yeah, that, that is a good audience. And I mean, yeah, from I, my I, personal I, experience, like, like I can't really be of much help there. And also, even if I could, they don't like listening to their parents anyway. No, but I think you make an excellent point that it, it, it would help also to shift the focus from just about, um, yeah, having profit and making money, but more towards understanding the economics behind it, which I think is a, a very valuable thing for useful people to learn as, as early as possible. Mm, definitely. Um, has the acquisition changed things for, for, for your team? For how, how does the company function since? You, you mentioned you're trying to keep everything pretty much as it was. And how, how is yeah, that? I think in the beginning, you're extremely protective. Uh, and I think over the years now, I've learned to, to gradually, again, not to overcompensate in the protectiveness and, and take the best of both worlds. So and I think that's a position where we're in right now. Uh, we have the independence of a startup, but I think at the same time, we have the 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 the, um, the overarching structure of a corporate business and, and we're trying to to pick the, the the things where where we benefit from and also on the same in the opposite way we try to yeah i'm not going to say uh, but we try to show to the, the corporate how we think how we can do things of course it's easier to do things with 20 people than with 1.8k people um but again i think it's it's been really good because I'm not going to lie, the, the fact that we have way less stress about purely financial things and raising funds and all those things, it really helps for, for the management team here to focus purely on the product and the R&D. Um, and, and, and I think, yeah, I, I would say it's been very, very good. Great. That's great. You, so you, you also have a position in eToro? Am I getting that right? Well, officially, I think yes. Uh, my impact on the Etoro product, I would say, is next to none, um, which is also normal because Delta is more than a full-time uh, <laughs> job. Um, I do think that going forward, we are looking into more, I would say, cross synergies where uh, we as Delta help uh, on certain efforts that are closely related with Toro. I think that makes sense because we do try to uh, have um, additional value, additional benefit for Toro users on Delta. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. But those are kept separately. Yes, correct. So, being that busy, like you sound, what? How do you relax? What do you? What do you do that like helps you? You know, put work away and, and just chill for a bit. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, even when I'm not working, I have a feeling that I'm working, and I know that's a very bad thing because I the first thing I do is I wake up, even if it's four o'clock in the middle of the night, I check Slack if there's something happening because there's community <laughs> managers that live in Australia or Canada, so it's around the clock. I'm available constantly. Does that mean that I'm working constantly? No, but it is constantly in my head. Uh, mm. So 
I know that I need to do a better job of, of letting go, to deconnect, uh, detach. Um, so I would say that is, I'm the last person to give good advice about it. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, no, I, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. No, no. I, I kind of thought when you when you said like uh, emotional decisions and, and protective of the company, there was a few moments there that you mentioned, and I, I thought that's going to end up like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just tried to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I completely, I completely, I completely get it. And and the thing is, you've been extremely. Um, well, you've worked very hard, and, and whether there's some luck in that as well. But when you think about it, from the moment you launched, even up today, that's not a long, long time for, for that type of success. That's not a long time at all in a lifetime of a company. Um, so it, the, there is a part where, and um, I mentioned that my son is 18 soon, and that's something I'm trying to put in his head, which unfortunately... I think people just have to get on their own back is there is a part of anything you do, whether, you know, you launch a st startup or you start working with a company. Um, there is that period where you just have to put the work in. There's no way around it, no other way around it. And uh, yeah. So in, in your case, that, that may just well be the case that you're not over that period yet where you can relax and say, okay, now, now that's, you know, taking that. So, okay, I can no. focus on something else. Yeah. No, and you're all absolutely right. There is always an element of luck. Um, the timing was lucky. We were very lucky with finding a good partner. So it's, you don't have all the elements under control. And I think that's also important to realize and accept. Mm. There's the saying about uh, preparation meets luck, that sort of thing. So, yeah. But the, the important thing is that luck, and luck is something out of, con out of your control, but grasping the opportunities related to luck that is in your control. And I think that's something that we at Delta did very good. And But again, if the luck opportunities would have been there, it might have not been so successful. Mm. Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what's next? What's, what's cooking? What's next for Delta? What's next is... Um, for us, it's really, and I think Delta is in a unique position today, and we want to embrace that position where where. CFI means DeFi, and, and for people that are less in that world, it's like combining centralized finance, which is brokers, banks, uh, with decentralized finance, which is more of the crypto atmosphere and wallets and tokens, NFTs, and combining that into one world and one application, and maybe also going to the educational rounds regarding it, I think is is what Delta can do, given the position where we're in, where we already give that holistic overview of both. Uh, and I think that's next for 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 next year. Uh, and more from an internal point of view, I think embracing the synergies even more on a product level uh, with the mother company, Toro, is something we want to do better. Um, yeah, and then, and then we'll see. Uh, for, uh, for Delta. Great, good. Uh, well, that's, that's been insightful. Um, I don't think I have any more questions out of this stage. Perfect. I think it was uh, condensed, but to the point, which I like. Yeah, I'll, I'll try it. You're busy enough anyway. You should go and have a rest. We <laughs> 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 have a coffee or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. But really, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, I enjoyed it. So sure. you're welcome. Thank you for making the time. Thank you. Cheers, Tana. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.